State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. AT&T Connects, an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. What's up, family? It's your girl, Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of Street Politicians, the, the place, place where, where the streets and, and politics meet. meet. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Blessing, Holly Favor. You know, when I was a kid, I never went to any concerts. Not really. It not, wasn't a thing. Yeah, me neither. And no, now no. I've concerted myself to death this summer. It's been a lot. <laughs> it's been a lot. And it's been, I mean, but it's been good concerts. Like, it's been like historical stuff that we've been to. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, shout out to Hip Hop is 50. Hip Hop turned 50 this year, a few days ago on August 11th. Hip Hop was born in the Bronx on Cedric and Cedar Avenue, 1520 Cedric to be exact. 
It was a house party that my man DJ Cool Herc did for his sister at that time who wanted to do a party. And that's how hip hop was birthed. And um, this year it turned 50 and the celebrations that I've went to have been phenomenal. Yankee Stadium was probably, it's easily one of the top two or three, you know, um, concerts I've ever been to. And the lineup was dope, you know, seeing you, when you go from seeing Dougie Fresh do beatbox for damn near 20 minutes, KRS-One come out with Fat Joe, then you got Snoop Dogg and, you know what I'm saying? I, it's so many different elements, Common Sense performed, Cameron performed. Like, it was just, it was what you call a plethora of, you know, of historical artists. And each one did did extremely well. Yeah, they you know? were good. It was high energy. High energy. And Nas and Lauren Hill, like, I think that was like the, one of my highlights. But then Run DMC, you know what I'm saying? They came out and just know, just know, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, knowing that I watched, um, damn, what was the movie with Run DMC was in? Was it, um, I can't think of the name, but it was one of the movie I used to watch all the time. And they used to go to The Fever and The Fat Boys was in it. And it was like one of those movies. What was The Fever? You know, you all The Disco Fever. Me, so. The Disco where was Fever. That where was that? In New York? Yes, it was in the Bronx. It was, they actually had two of them. It was a you party, know, like a club. It was a club. Oh. It, was, it was one that the original Disco Fever was on One Sixty Seven, right off of um, on El Grand Highway. It was, it was a, a the Fever. They used to go there, and then they moved. Then they moved it. Then they moved it to um East Tremont Avenue. But the original Fever is where they they had this movie, and and I remember watching Run DMC perform. It's like that, and that's the way. And, on, and that was like the first time I ever heard that song. And they, mm. and the way they did it, I remember Run, Run, his voice cracked when he said, not DJ Run, my name, because I remember that part so much, his voice cracked. We had a whole lot of superstars on this stage here tonight, but I want y'all to know one thing. One. This is my motherfucking house. When I say whose house, I want y'all to say Run's house. Whose house? Run's house. Hold up. Whose house? Run's house. Not DJ Run's. My name, Jam Master J, is his. He's the MC. It's like that, and that's the way it is. It was, it was, it was one of the best things. So this being a kid watching that movie and then watching Run DMC perform and just watching just all the greatness, man. And then, you know, you weren't you weren't privy to the next day, you know, KRS yeah, I didn't one. Get to see that, but obviously you and Ben Crump were because yes. y'all was there together. Shout out Ben Crump. Shout out everybody. I can't there. believe Ben Crump ben was Crump in the Bronx on Cedric Avenue. And he told them that hip hop is black culture. Mm. You know what I'm saying? They can't and if they they can't kill hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Because black culture is hip hop. Mm. He 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 tore it down. He gave a he gave a word out there, man. I wonder so, who had him come go speak there. I don't know. He just pulled, he pulled he hip hop, man. Like it was so hip hop. Yeah, I he guess loves, he, is. Boy, he loves yeah. hip hop. He loves hip hop. But um, the energy KRS One, Public Enemy performed. You know, Flavor Flav was up there. 
doing what Flavor Flav do. At the Cedric Avenue thing? Yeah. Did he perform the night before at Yankee Sand? Because I missed, like, the beginning of it. I believe he did. Yeah, he came out. He came out with, um, that's when um Snoop brought Public Enemy. Oh, that's what I forget. You know, I be forgetting that these artists were part of groups. Yeah. And then they became singular voices. So, so yeah. yeah, it was, it was, the energy was phenomenal, man. My, my boy, um, CL Smooth performed one of my favorite artists, you know, one of my favorite hip hop artists. He did um, Reminiscence, which one of my favorite songs. So I was, and then Joe came, like, look, I'm, I'm gonna keep this a buck right now. Joe got the, like, when we was young, it used to be, we used to play basketball game. And whenever you was on fire, you had the red shoes. So whenever you, when you had the red shoes, you couldn't miss a shot. Like, you know, where did you get the red shoes from? It was a, a video game. It, and when you played the video game, inside the video game, when a person, they'd be like, he's heating up. And they say, he's on fire and your shoes would turn red. <laughs> so you couldn't miss. And while them shoes was red, you just shoot. Every shot you shot would just go in. Okay. And it's like Fat Joe got the red shoes right now. Because I was watching Fat Joe from Yankee Stadium. He was in red form. Like, he put on a show. He got the red he shoes. He got the red shoes right now. Then he he came. was good. He, yeah. And I don't want to rate like my best because it's hard, right? Like, you know, plus Joe, you know, that's family. So, it, of course. But Snoop's set was good. It was. Snoop, listen to me. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It was one of the most well put together lineups. And people took, you know, they took time. They said, this is Hip Hop 50. Joe came from the project. He drove from the project to Yankee Stadium. And went out there, he brought Peter Guns out there. In the project? Know. No, I'm talking about he drove from the projects. And then when he came on the stage, he came out. But with why? What? I don't understand that. See, that's the essence of it. You, he well, was at the project. He, he decided to up. go to the projects because it just was so significant. It was so significant. Yeah. No one like, damn, I was. This I came from it. Trinity Avenue. And I, came, I went back to the hood, was out there with the fellas. They dapped it up, took pictures, and he drove his Rolls Royce. All the way from Trinity Avenue to Yankee Stadium. Mm, that would make me cry. Yeah, it like, was it, it was sure significant. Like when Jay Z when Jay Z did it. Mm. Remember when Jay Z got on the train to go perform, and the white lady was like, "Who are you? Mm. Are you somebody big?" He said, "I'm kind of like a big." <laughs> I don't remember artist. that. But that's kind of cool. Yeah, like it's, it's it's a clip out there. But that was the significance of, of Joe coming from the projects, and then. His energy, like he, he, he was know, really, he came to perform. He you was know what I'm really saying? man, he man, brought man. One out there, he put, he performed. You know, I've seen him perform a million, million, million times. But he was indifferent. But this was a good show. That's I mean, he was really you. good. His set was great. The sound quality out there was great too. Like you know, for all the artists. But then I thought that, and of course, we we have mentioned because you know whatever i have much to say but about the fact that we've mentioned a lot of men but there were also many dope female artists who performed as well yes, from little were. kim to scarlet to well, I, like, I like scarlet come on now Scarlett's she worked hard of course remy ma yeah trina trina came out lola brooke lola i like lola too lola. um and probably others that i just didn't get a chance to see them but you know, they, they gave a great show. But I will say that if I had to give my ranking, if I had to, which I don't want to because I love Snoop. Obviously, Snoop's on our board. He's, you know, we love him. 
Um, and his show was really good. I mean, his he had a great time. He enjoyed the whole show. So, so, you know, think about him. He was great. I mean, just so many different, even A Boogie, like I thought A Boogie set was good. Like people know his songs and they, cause you know, I don't be knowing who the younger artists are. So mm -hmm. when I heard the music, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it was, I was with all old old people. The you the left old, all the, the old folks. people over there. So we was old, but we was like, oh yeah, you know, I know that song, I know that song. But I would say that Nas and, and, and Lauren Hill, definitely for me. I mean, I guess because Lauren to me is like a total, like she's a straight up icon. I have to give Nas icon status too. But you could tell that everybody who touched that stage for the most part, they really like felt it. You know what I mean? It was Yankee and, yeah, and, and Nas, his whole performance was great. Cause you know, I was standing in front of his face. You was kind of like behind his head. Yeah, I was on But I was in front of his face, though, you know, so I could see the expression, the eyes closing, the pain, the the love, the power. And the and the thing that I, you know, when he did one mic, you knew he felt that. Yeah. The thing about one mic is the song in itself, it just does something. It's it's a it's a level of adrenaline for somebody who just wants something bad. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's mm. like it gives you this feeling. It's like it's kind of like between one mic and 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 um Eminem's Lose Yourself, those two songs have the same kind of energy. And it's a build-up, because it's that build-up. It's like dun, 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 mm. and it's the build-up, and then you feel you feel the energy in that. So yes, Nas, Nas probably was pretty much one of my favorite, which I'm just saying I can't, I'm I'm not gonna say take anything from everybody because everybody brought it. You know, but I'm gonna finish what I was saying about Joe having oh, the red sorry, shoes. He went because he went to um the next day KRS one did the concert. And he kept, he came out there and he did a whole different. Line. It was this was just hip hop, and he probably did you know he did all the way up and um and lean back, but he he put some. He did I got a flow Joe. He did songs. He did um him and Pun. You know the deep cup like he did songs that you had to know hip hop, and the crowd was just like. They was with him and he was just in he's like i ain't coming like he just was he was just in the real form man I'm, I'm happy to see it gave me it reinvigorated a level of artistry in me like because you know like as an artist as somebody who loves lyricism and just loves music sometimes you don't feel enthused you know what i'm saying so i'm like you know what i'm gonna, I'm gonna make me a couple of songs man. i'm gonna write me some, <laughs> i'm gonna write me some fire because you know this this whole this weekend just did something for me so but, so, but let me ask you a question from a vulnerable perspective, knowing that you at one time were in a very significant position within hip hop. And then this thing happens to you where you are convicted of a crime you didn't commit and you go to prison for seven years and come back and the whole world has changed. Music has changed. You don't even see the industry to say you, it feels to me, which I didn't know you at that time, but it almost feels like after having come into your own light and kind of understanding the world, you weren't even trying to pursue it as much or in the same way. You wanted something different. Um, what? How was this weekend like from an emotional perspective? Did it feel like, wow, like these are all your friends? Mm -hmm. You know, all these people, y'all grew up together and 
but you're doing something totally different. And guess what? Music is therapeutic. Music can be so many different things, but, and oftentimes we start out at one place in life and think that that is the path. And then Mm -hmm. God changes the path to something completely different. And you have to be willing to roll with that and see the, um, the blessing in even the, the curse, like the blessing in the, in disguise, if you will. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like like I told you, it's 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 bittersweet, right? It's it's sweet because I love hip hop so much, and I love the artistry, and I and I know what it takes, right? And and, and seeing that stadium like that, and seeing artists just come out there and perform at that high level, you know, it's 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 a beautiful thing. But just knowing that had things been a little different, that more nine out of ten times you would have been a part of that mm-hmm. you understand what i'm saying just knowing that and there was a, a time that i know that i was on a, the verge of hip-hop royalty like mm-hmm. i know i know that i know the level of artistry that i have mm-hmm. i know the dedication well they knew i yeah, mean people you know people so, people mention it like i've had conversations with puff with um with uh mona scott with others and and they have said like you know my son was probably one of the best writers in terms of content writing all your own songs and delivery and attitude yeah because you always have been from what i know very even killer just cool you not you never was like from what i could see you never was like one of those tough stupid guys like you know one of create problems everywhere. Yeah. I just was one that didn't do I just have very low tolerance for, for ignorance and disrespect. But for the most part, you know, I just I carried myself as a young 22 year old, you know, I I was above my my years, I mm. believe, because I, I was mm. around older and more wiser individuals who had been through a lot. But just, you know, just on on the music note, it's just for me, it's just like knowing, you know, sometimes you feel like that you've been jerked, mm. you know what I'm saying? It feels mm. like you get jerked. You know, you're sitting out there, you're watching, like, I know what I would have been doing. I know I'm supposed to be on these stages. I know, you know, the, I know the impact of music that I was making at that time would have had, you know? So sometimes, you know, you go through that, but then you just be like, you know, it's God's plan for what you're doing now. You know, I wouldn't change my life for anything, you know, and, and I just, and I still write when I want to. It's their music is therapeutic for me. So mm-hmm. if I feel like I want to drop, especially we in the internet era, if I decide that I want to go out and drop an album tomorrow, I can drop an album tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? I still am lyrically able to do it, and, and I understand music. So if I feel like, you know, I might just put together a little EP. I still be trying to figure out what happened to my favorite album that never materialized because the album had a lot of... Uh, yeah. Shout out very, to Remo. Remo was so pissed off, man. Me it was Remo. very... Uh, uh, it was very... Uh, what, what I want to say? It was like underground. Not really underground. It was just different. <laughs> Yeah, I like that album. It was it was X not X rated. That's sorry, not X rated. It was um damn, I can't I gotta get a good word. It just it was, was not for everybody. Yeah, it was it was it was quality. It wasn't music. your grandmother's no, album. It was, it was it was quality music. It was a, it was such a good album. Yeah, and man. it was just at a different time and space, so but it was still dope. And shout out to Remo. Remo talks about that all the time. Like we were supposed to put that out. Like 
You know what I'm saying? We stood in the studio and we created bangers. Like, these are bangers. So, but you know, hey, the music is still, you never know. We might just yeah. decide. You are the one who was like, I can't put this out. Because it was, the, it was more, the, the content is so raw. It is very, you know, but it's, it's good. It's good. It's raw and it's real, but it just, it, just, that, it would contradict the moment. The, that yeah, now that, you could do it because people have, you are very clear about who you are, what you're doing. Yeah. And we've been clear about the fact that we're not one dimensional. So I'm wearing my Daniel Cameron, um, my Breonna Taylor and Daniel Cameron. It says yeah. Attorney General Daniel Cameron wants to be the governor. He refused to prosecute Breonna Taylor's killers. He failed Breonna. He failed Kentucky. Stop Cameron at Until Free. With this t-shirt is the donation that you should make. Well, with the donation, with the donation get the you get the t-shirt. Um, to our campaign to pretty much stop Daniel Cameron. Because there's no way that we can allow someone like Daniel Cameron to be the governor of Kentucky when we already know his politics is anti-us. Mm. You know, on your skin folk ain't your kin folk. Mm. So, you know, we So Daniel Cameron is the black, you know, most of you who listen to us every week, you know the story. But sometimes you get a new person and they say repetition is the best exercise of remembrance of having people remember things uh, and I need it I have to remind myself all the time so Daniel Cameron is the current attorney general in the state of Kentucky he became the special prosecutor um, in the Breonna Taylor matter the death of Breonna Taylor and the harassment and everything else that you could think of of Kenneth Walker, Breonna Taylor's boyfriend. So the reason what special prosecutor means is that the local district attorney decided to recuse himself from the case. He did not want to prosecute officers who he worked very closely with. Clearly, that's one of the issues with district attorneys and police departments across the country is that most of them work in the same buildings or in the complex. So they're very close. They see one another all the time. The offices are often there to help the district attorney build their case. Um, and even though they have, they, they in some cases um, have to bring charges against offices as well and or report um, behavior, you know, behavior that is, is, is um, illegal or whatever, they have to do that. They really don't do it enough and they try their best to not have problems with the police, right? So... I guess in this situation, they felt it would be better. He felt it would be better, which we don't agree with at all, but he felt it would be better to recuse himself and allow the attorney general, which is an individual who doesn't work with the local Louisville Police Department, um, you know, to have him prosecute the case. Well, the attorney general, Daniel Cameron, he purposely did not prosecute those officers or a, attempt to get an indictment. Why do we know purposely? So people say, well, how do you know it's purposeful? Well, because the jurors came forward at the end of the grand jury proceedings when there were no charges for the murder of Breonna Taylor and said that they had expectations that they would hear evidence and be presented with a list of charges that they could choose for, from to indict the officers for killing Breonna Taylor. 
these these jurors, it was, I think, three of them that came forward of a panel of, what is it, about 12 people. Um, three of them came forward to say they had never, ever received any charges. So Daniel Cameron never even presented them um, with anything that they could use to indict those officers for, Bri for Brianna's death. Um, and then he lied because he came forward and said that the jury did not find any charges for Brianna. They did not find the officers uh, liable for her, her death. And that is not true because they didn't get an opportunity to even look at charges. That's right. So now he wants to be governor. Well, along the way, we found out we found out what we believe to be why he didn't want to charge the officers. We found out that he's a major supporter of police. Um, he, as a conservative, a black man who, yes, is a conservative, um, he is a Republican. He supports police. He wants to see police have more power, not less. He does not want there to be um, checks and balances, if you will. So in his 12-point plan that he released as part of his campaign for the governorship, he says that he wants to get rid of the Civilian Complaint Review Board, which is the, op the only opportunity, the only recourse that we as citizens have to try to get justice when police officers engage in wrongdoing. Second, he wants to give drug offenders or drug dealers, because people have asked me to correct that, the death penalty. Now, we don't sit here, and I'm not saying, oh, well, drug dealers, um, you know, shouldn't be held accountable for their actions. But I know that this country never holds itself accountable for anything. And if you want to start uh, giving people the death penalty for selling drugs, why don't you start with the pharmaceutical companies? Because they they've killed many more people than little poop poop or little teep teep. Now, not to say teep teep and poop poop ain't wrong, but big pharma should be, and they they they're paying millions and millions, billions of dollars like to man, settle lawsuits. Like my man. Simba said, "Big Meech ain't sell more dope than Big Pharma." And so I'm saying, so so it so we're saying, cool. You want to give death penalty? Let's start with the real yeah. actors. Right, here. let's start with yeah. Rite Aid and CVS. Yeah. No, CVS and Rite Aid would not be a part of it. <laughs> Why not? They we this, take that back, man. They out there no, selling, but they're they not selling. Sell like smack. No, they're not selling. They got that smack in there. No, though. they don't sell it. Okay, what they let's do? They not the miseducate people. So they not CVS and providers no they are they are responsible for doing what the doctor ordered if the doctor says that my son needs oxycodone they don't get to ask you about your medical stuff they just have to provide it because that is their job but there's still the over the counter medicines be, that they sell over there yeah, but it's not but th that's not no yeah. the people who have to be held responsible are the pharmaceutical companies and the doctors who work with the pharmaceutical companies that get kickbacks for getting people to use certain types of drugs. Those are those are the ones. And of course, even government officials who have been involved in like helping lobbyists to, to help these pharmaceutical companies um, avoid responsibility. So with that being said, there's a bunch of people if you want to have death penalty. But what we know is that they're never, ever, ever, never going to do that. They are never going to hold Big Pharma accountable where these laws apply to them. No, 
they are going to want to try to put forth these policies for folks who are, you know, low in low hanging fruit, mm -hmm. which is our people. All the time. Our people. So that's why we can't support that because it'll never be uh, distributed fairly across the board because if they started doing it and they looked at the crime and the punishment, they would have to kill their own. And that's not going to happen. So things like that. And we could go on with other things that he said. He wants to give police more surveillance um, opportunities. So they can get even more surveillance and wiretaps and whatnot on individuals. I mean, they, he's one of, he's, he's a, you know, he, he, he wants to give police full reign and also has not come forward with a plan for how you deal with accountability. In fact, he was asked about accountability in terms of the Civilian Complaint Review Board, and he had no answer and tried to move on to another question several times in a forum. So um, that's why he can't be governor. It's Yes, Breonna Taylor would be retaliation. That would be, uh, I'm using the word retaliation, and I don't know if that's a appropriate I don't think word. It's, yeah, it's, I don't think, I think it would be... Um, Reciprocity, or I don't know. We have to be careful with the language we use, but it would be basically... You you screw Brianna, you can't be governor. And and that actually to me is fine. Like if people get in this to say all I care about is because of what he did to Brianna Taylor, I'm going to do my part in making sure he doesn't become governor, mm -hmm. that is completely fine. But in this situation, we can go on and take Brianna and put her on the side and just deal with the things that I just mentioned about his policies. It's not good for Kentucky and it's more importantly not good for America because he is black, a black Ron DeSantis. Ooh. A black Ron DeSantis. And these people have a plan for us that is so devastating and so so and, and it's contagious. It's growing across the nation and he will be a part of that. So that's that. Um we're selling this t-shirt. Well actually we're asking for a fifty dollar donation. And with the $50 donation, you get this beautiful t-shirt, this beautiful, beautiful photo of Breonna Taylor. Excuse me, sorry. Um, and I hope that you will support. Yes. So you go to untilfreedom.com. That's untilfreedom.com. Click shop. And, you know, you purchase a t-shirt. You get the t-shirt. $50 you spend um, with our organization. And it will help us because we're headed back to Kentucky the rest of this month. Um, you know, you got black music festivals, you got all the 50th hip hop stuff, you have um, the, 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 just too much stuff, all kinds of things, but it's time to go to work. And after Labor Day, we'll be back in Kentucky on a regular basis, doing what we need to do to fight to make sure that Daniel Cameron does not become governor of the Kentucky. state of Kentucky. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements. 
along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale one million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field. From free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Speaking of pharmaceutical companies, one day I was laying down in the morning, it's really early, and one of the morning shows was on. I think it, I don't think it was morning Joe, but it was an early morning show. And I heard them saying that, um, oh, you know, yeah, you can use this shot and um you can and and, and it's for diabetes. 
So it basically helps you because, you know, with diabetes, one of the biggest things is your intake. So you want to take, they, they want to, when they're trying to help treat you, they're trying to reduce your desire for food. Okay. Um, and, so, you know, stop you from having cravings and wanting to eat all the time so that you can get your body cleaned out and, you know, reduce your calorie count and all the other things that um, add to diabetes or help, I mean, or, or things that diabetes feed on, right? So they said that people had started using the shot for weight loss. And these were the folks from the company saying that, you know what, we have found that it actually does work. They said something about, you know, a few side effects possible, but it's pretty much safe. Again, people with diabetes can use it, blah, blah, blah. And I was laying there thinking to myself, that's kind of cool, like that they do have this shot. But I also realized that um, anytime something was for one thing and you start using it for something else, something gonna go wrong. it could. Yeah, this is strong, very strong possibility. It could go wrong. And in some cases, it has. Now, I know people who have def who have used it, and you can visibly see that you know they are they look smaller. I mean, it actually works. The, mm -hmm. It 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 does the thing. I have several friends. I have a pouch in my stomach and a and two like love handles on the side that I want to go away. And a friend told me, "Oh, you should just take the shot. It's going to be fine." But I don't want. I'm not. You know, I don't want to do that because I think it also it reduces a lot of things. Like you start losing weight all over, and you know me, I can get to be a skeleton if I don't, um, you know, take care of myself properly. So I don't need that. But there are a lot of people out here who have weight control issues and they're looking for something and they don't want to get three surgeries, two surgeries, or even one surgery and they don't want to work out. <laughs> so, which is your thing that you always say. They don't, work out. they also don't probably want to eat right. I don't know. Maybe you do have to eat right on the shot. I've never heard them. And so, but, but again, I figure it's something has got to be. And so recently I learned of two people who have had severe side effects from that shot. One person has now um, developed some type of thyroid problem or like a, when they say thyroid cancer could be one of the, the um, side effects, but this person has some type of thyroid, some issue. So that's one thing. And then another person who's actually very close to me had pancreatitis and an intestine shut down. It was paralyzed and it had to be rushed to the hospital. It was in the hospital for several days trying to get these things straight. And it was all after taking the shot. So mm -hmm. I just would like to say that I understand wanting to be fine, honey, because, you know, I work at it too, not, not as much as I should, but I work at it and I get it. I get that, you know, weight loss is so hard, especially once you get past a certain age, life and everything else but people need to be really really careful about taking something that is not prescribed for the thing for something else because it has the potential to really really screw you up so you know i guess some people and you know i don't really talk about weight because people look at me like how dare you but i have my own struggles oh yeah you know i mean Weight is a thing, especially like you said, you know, I, it's, it's hard. I'm trying to get this six pack back together, man. It's tough. It's tough. I ain't never, I never seen like fat on my stomach as a, in my twenties and thirties. I just never seen it. It just wasn't even a thing. <laughs> I never even really had to work for it. It just had, you know, six pack 
That was ain't had no six pack, no whole twenties and no thirties, child. Like I'm gonna say it again, my six pack is legendary. Please. You know what I'm saying? I'll find a clip. I'm gonna find a clip. We're gonna make sure we put that in here. So you, so because we ain't gonna do this. We're not gonna disrespect. You ain't had no six pack from no twenties and no thirties. I know you ain't trying to go to your phone. No, I have like nah, to right. go find the nah, picture. We're not gonna, we're not gonna violate it, man. Law six pack, Anyway, we ain't gonna, what were you, what was you saying? What about I was the saying. Point? You know, is that I know how hard it is to lose weight. You know, and that's all I'm gonna say. Okay, I see the picture, but does that mean that? Does that mean? Does it mean what? It's not gonna work. Oh, no. But that's not all twenties and thirties. These is thirties. You better send that to Jan. <laughs> this was in my thirties. You know what I'm saying? We ain't gonna play like that, boy. Was special. Yeah, I'm gonna send this to Janice because we ain't gonna we ain't gonna play. You know what I'm saying? That was just in the 30s. You know what I'm saying? Wow. But um so you see. Oh, you see it? You see that six pack? Don't front on it. Don't front on that six shit. No, don't try to come on, man. So anyway, I understand the, the, the struggle of weight loss, but people gotta stop being lazy, man. You gotta stop being lazy because all of the temporary shit, that shit comes right back. I've watched, I've seen women get all types of BBLs and be fat in six months. BBL is has nothing to do with being fat. You don't be knowing what you be talking about. It don't? The BBL is on your butt. That has nothing to do with... So they do don't do the with... full body shit. They just do the butt. They don't Some do no... people. Well, I'm talking so, about but the But you ones... said BBL. You supposed to right, say mommy makeover. Whatever it is, the mommy uh, makeover. Uh, what's the other thing called? The tummy tuck. Whatever you uh, call it. They tuck make over all that shit, they need to make it over again. Because after about a year, they think, no, no, next thing you know, the edges that they don't carved out, which is just gone, and they well, come the, the weight doesn't come back exactly in the same place all the time. Exactly. It's, Sometimes it just starts coming out different pockets and muffins here, muffins. We've got to work out. You can't cheat the grind. I'm trying to tell you. You cannot cheat the grind. Go and get your workout. You know? It's because I know it's tough, but it's worth it, man. It's going everybody that works out can't lose weight. That's not true. That Never. is true. That is true. No, that is my there's nobody, there's no person I know that is consistently worked out. That's not on true. a regiment that doesn't lose That's weight. That's not that true. Is, That's not true. I have my thought of the day today. My thought of the day today, I have thought of the day, you don't know what it is. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay. There are women and men that work out every day and cannot shake the weight. That is... they, they start getting more toned in certain places, but the weight shedding There's is no very hard, that especially stuff. Every day. That can't shed weight. Yes, it is. What are you talking I about? Know, I have never heard of that. I have family members that work out all the time and they still they got the, big they, stomachs. I mean, they in the, in the gym playing around. They no. just in the gym. There's nobody that is. Now consistent. they might not be eating what they should they're be. They're not eating. eating and they're not working out properly. Because even if you work out every day, if there's a level of exercise that your body is doing every day, you're, you're burning calories. You're constantly burning calories. If you're working out properly and you're doing it every day, there's no way that you're not losing weight. That is not a thing. I've never in my life seen it. I've worked out. I've, tr I've been a personal trainer. And I've seen some people lose weight. 
you know, take them longer because they're not consistent at the workout and they don't work their body out as hard. They go in the gym and they come a little bit and then they work a little bit and then they cry and all that. But you tell me somebody consistently works out every day. I'm just day. telling you. No, ma'am. Yes. No, ma'am. We're moving on. We're about to bring on our guest who's going to come on and talk to us. You know what? History is, su is such a thing. You yeah, have to... You sound muffled. Oh. You know what? History is such a thing. And our guest is going to talk about some history that's really important. Um, and, you know, it just feels like when I think about how much we fight every single day, there are so many issues, even things that haven't been resolved from a long time ago that people are still fighting. When folks say, ain't no leaders and ain't nobody doing nothing and nobody does this and that, it's such bullshit. There are people who are out here really going hard on so, many fronts, yeah. fighting for education, fighting for reparations, fighting for uh, equal housing, fighting for so many different issues, fighting for justice, fighting to get the court straight, fighting for, for Black dollars, the Black spin. I think about Roland Martin and how he's constantly talking about um, advertising dollars and how it's not going back into the communities that are uh, using products and services. And it's just, we it's a lot of people out here that's using their voices and we just need to honor them. And so, their platforms and their skill sets and everything. It's true. So right now we're gonna bring a guest on who's doing something big. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Walbroke, we hear inspiring rags-to-riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. 
Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. All right. So as I said, you know, um, there's so many people fighting. There's so many people fighting. And, and you know, it really does bother me. I realize that it's probably one of like my one of the things that triggers me the most when I hear people being like, oh, folks, nobody's doing anything. I hate to hear people say that because so many people are doing really incredible work to try to level the playing field, if you will, for us, our communities, for our people. And this particular gentleman that we have as a guest today um, is sort of like a new friend, you know, our friends that we invite on to street politicians. His name is attorney Demario Solomon Simmons. Uh, He has an organization called Justice for Greenwood. And we're going to learn more about what that is. But I think what was very important interesting and enticing to me. And then of course I shared it with you about his story. So many of our young men share the same story, dropped out of high school, by, or not dropped out of high school, but at the bottom of his class in high school, which I don't even know what that means. So we gotta ask, what is the bottom? I don't know. Anyway, the bottom of his class in high school, then dropped out of college, then somehow made it back to college and ends up going to the University of uh, Oklahoma, playing football, and then receiving one of the college's most prestigious awards as the first African-American without an outstanding graduation, outstanding performance in school. And I mean, you, you with so many of our young people go from bottom of the class dropping out to people just never believing in them ever, ever again. And to now be an attorney, who is celebrated, yeah. who's well-known, is very inspirational. And for him to be working on dealing with reparations for the Tulsa Massacre Survive Race War, the Tulsa Race War Massacre Survivors, that is huge. And it so is. thank you so much, Attorney Simmons, who are joining us today on Street Politicians. And we're so interested in hearing all about you and what you're doing. And I think 
I still want to know what the bottom of your class means. <laughs> so let's start at your humble beginnings and kind of work our way to Tulsa from there. Sure, certainly can do it. I'm really excited to be here. Big, you know, big fans of you guys' work and all you've been doing. Like you said, we've, we've met, had a chance to talk a few times. I think the last time we were together was down in Atlanta for the Warnock mm -hmm. runoff. So just happy to be here. Yeah, you know, you know, humble beginnings. You know, I'm a kid from North Tulsa, Oklahoma. I grew up. My mother uh, had cerebral palsy. Single mom had a, me and my brother in the household, and my mom still worked, even though you know we just called it crippled back then. You know, you got to change your words nowadays. Certain things you get in trouble, but growing up, we just called my mom when she was crippled. You know, and so I fought a lot growing up because you know if you talk about my mama you know she kept saying that's right you can't you can't fight everybody that laugh at the way i walk or whatever you be fighting your whole life i've been like this my whole life and you know i was a pretty good student in uh middle school and elementary school but then i just fell into the whole like i'm I'm 47 so right when i got to middle school this is when nwa easy e too short this is when all this stuff starts hitting and it just like blew my mind open like oh my god this music is amazing. I love it. And I just started living that lifestyle. You know, this is around the same time in, in, in Oklahoma where, you know, snowfalls like like crack hit around the same time I'm becoming in the middle school. So I'm just falling into that lifestyle. That's not how I was raised. It's not what I was instilled to do, but I fell into that lifestyle. And by the time I got to high school, man, my whole dream was to be playing NFL football. Mm. And I was a pretty good football player. I was better, I was, I thought I was better than I was, but I was a, I was a good football player. And that's all I concentrated on. So when you said when I graduated bottom of my class, I was 234 out of 252. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I didn't know I was going to even graduate until the night we were walking across the stage. I was in freshman algebra <laughs> as a senior with my freshman little brother. Wow. And I had flunked. I, could I don't know if you want me to tell you the full story, but it's yeah. okay. We want to hear it. I flunked freshman algebra. I flunked the second uh, half of freshman al algebra. I should have been kicked out of school. My school was a magnet school, but I was a good athlete. So I, I got to stay. And then I basically just conned my way through geometry of 10th grade year. In my junior year, I had a, my coach, one of the coaches was the algebra two teacher. We didn't take a test. Like a four year algebra two didn't even ever take a quiz. Just got a C, got passed through, right? My senior year, they come in like, Solomon, if you want to graduate, you're going to have to take this freshman algebra. I said, okay, I'll just take the second half. They're like, no, you got to take the full year. So I was in freshman algebra with my freshman brother, but I skipped that class 103 times. Mm, wow. So they, they would have, my brother would come home and he would say, man, would you please show up? Because they keep asking me where you are and what you're doing. Because I was, at this time, I was just interested in hanging out, getting high, chilling, and then going to school for football practice. That was, that was that's the way I lived. Which was like and your big little brother was on you. My big little brother was on me. He's like, man, you guys, they all on me. They sweating me because you're not in class. This is a true story. My teacher came to me and said, Demario, if you don't pass this next, last test with at least a B, you're not going to graduate. you got to study. Did I take that to heart? Hell no. Man, I got to, I didn't look at anything. I literally cheated off a little white girl next to me in the ninth grade. I'm a senior. I literally was cheating off ninth graders so I could pass this test. I didn't find out I was actually going to walk. We get my degree till I was in line on a night to walk across the stage. My family's there. I got my cap and gown on. And the teacher said, you will actually graduate. Mm, wow. Dang. 
That is very different, right? And along the way, I tore my ACL my senior year, second game of the uh, second game of the playoffs. I got arrested. Um, I was addicted to weed, and so my college opportunities for my Division One schools they just evaporated. You know, I was a good player. I played on. I played with three pros on my NFL team. On my senior year, I was in high school with seven guys that majored in NFL and NBA. I know y'all know Eton Thomas. Mm-hmm. Mine, we all went to, went to Booker T in Tulsa. So I was a good player, but as I had all these things popping up, tearing my knee up, my grades being terrible, getting arrested, smoking weed, just being a, a basic troublemaker, all of my D1 stuff kept getting going away and going away. So I ended up having wow. to go through a little bitty uh, D2 school, not too far from here. And I just couldn't, I couldn't re- relate. It was a white school in a white town, little little stadium, not bigger than my high school stadium. All my homeboys at major schools, OU, Tennessee, K-State, University of Miami. And I'm at this little big old school and I just got depressed. And that's when I dropped. I was just like, you know, if I can't play at the highest mm-hmm. level, I, I just don't want to do it. And I just ended up just quitting the football team. They took my scholarship. Mm. I had to finish out the semester, get get loans, moved home, was living with my mama, was gonna go to another school. I told my I did told my shoulder and I just got so disgruntled, I just dropped out and moved to Dallas. Wow. So what was the process? What what was that process like that, you know, in between you dropping out, moving to Dallas, and then saying to yourself, you know what, I need to go back to school. I need to to, you know, get myself together. What was that? What, what was that transition? Yeah. So when I when I dropped out of school, I talked my now wife, then girlfriend, to dropping out too and moving to Dallas with me. Wow. We were moving to Dallas to work with a relative of mine who's like a brother. We grew up in the same household to work at his company. And we sort of make all this money, get rich. Well, he turned out to be a con artist. <laughs> and he even conned me, his brother. So we get down there. I'm working for him. He's not paying me. Um, I we wreck our we wreck our car. We we have to move into this these apartments oh, that are like um, roach infested. Like this is you know we we were low income but we didn't live like that. You know what I'm saying? And our whole deal was we don't want to come back home because our parents was like, no, don't do this. You, this is a bad deal. We wanted to prove them wrong. But it was in that moment I was literally selling air fresheners. This is an absolute. This is what happened. I was literally selling air fresheners in South Dallas. If you know anything about South Dallas, that's where the Cotton Bowl is located. Well, OU and Texas play. That's one of the biggest games in college football. The game was going on. I was selling air fresheners in this barbershop called Graham Barbershop. They had the TV on, watching the OU-Texas game. And one of my high school classmates, teammates, Demond Parker, was having a career game for OU, rushing for like 200 yards. And I'm sitting there watching him on TV selling air fresheners. And it was like, oh, no, hell, this, this is, what the hell is wrong with this picture? I realized then that being a low... Uh, not having a degree, not taking advantage of all the opportunities and just kind of going through life, making 10, 12 dollars an hour. I saw what that life was going to be like. And I'm like, nah, that ain't going to be us. We moved back home. I finished mm. up community college, got on the president's list. I read every book you can imagine, black history, destruction of black civilization, miseducation, anything I could get my hands on. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to fulfill my dream. I'm going to go to OU. I'm a major in history. I'm going to walk onto the football team. I got to OU. They had an African-American studies program. I majored in that, walked onto the football team, earned a scholarship, and just been on that road ever since. That was in 1997. Mm. Wow. I became a vegetarian, been a vegetarian since 96. 
I'm a vegan now. So it just started a whole transformation in my mind, but it started first from a, a mental shift and a spiritual shift, you know, and I just really give a lot of credit to my grandmother, you know, friend, grandmother, never, never gave up my mama. Like you said, Tamika, a lot of times this story that I'm telling you, it ends in a different way because people give up on you. Yeah. My, my family and friends and, and my older relatives, even though my father was not in my life, I still had a lot of men that was positive that spoke life into me, even when I was trying to go to, trying to kill myself. So that's how that transition happened. I mean, once I, once I, once, once my mental shifted and I realized that I had to get educated and I really got to understand, like, as a black man in America, like, what I'm up against and what are my uh, obligations and what people have sacrificed for me to get to where, where I am. Like, I didn't, I knew this growing up, but I didn't, it didn't impact me like it did once I got my mind together. Like, my mother, my grandparents on my mother's side, they were the first black family to buy a home in this area of town. Mm. They went through absolute hell. You know, my mother's crippled, like I told you, or handicapped. The, the white folks in the neighborhood, this is 1957, 1958, 1959. They call my mother uh, crippled nigger baby so often, she thought that that was their name. You know, my grandfather was a trash man. He had to work making half of what the white boys are working. Then he had to go and work as a janitor at a bank. And then at night he had to come and basically stay on the porch because they were throwing rocks and, and bricks and cutting the tires on the car and all that stuff. My aunties are integrating schools here, going to our central high school, having a fight every day. These are things that I didn't have an appreciation for growing up. But once I got my mentality right and, and understood, like, I mean, this is, I, I can't, I can't, I can't throw away this sacrifice that these people have done, my own family, doing this ridiculous stuff is also hurting me and hurting the community. Mm. Mm, that's so powerful. Yeah. That's powerful to say, you know, I can't throw away the history and the legacy of my people. You know, I need to be in tune. You got to be in touch, right? And that's why history is so important. It's so important to read and learn. However, some people reading is not their thing, but learn about where we've come from because you see yourself. And I always say, um, well, we always say that going to Africa expanded that understanding as well. It's almost like if every black child had to take the trip, very similar to what um, the Jews do with Israel, where they take most of them, try to take their children there to learn the stories and to see, um, you know, and, and to be a part of the, the, the community, that real cultural experience. It is very similar with us that if we were able to take our children back and show them where our people's beginnings were or are, um, I think you would have less of us willing to kill, backstab and harm one another because you just it, it you know when you open up your eyes in the world you can't unsee it you know so it's really wonderful to hear you talk about that and I'm assuming not just because you live in Oklahoma but also because you've done the research because you are African American studies major you know so much about Tulsa because that's such a big part of our story so what led you to did you get led to Justice for Greenwood first or did you first become, start working on the Tulsa 
um, uh, reparations piece and then build the organization? Yeah, I, I started working on the on the Tulsa reparations piece, you know, 25 years ago, 1990, mm. and then built out just for Greenwood. Here's the deal. And I've been to Africa, too, so we can talk about that. I've been to mm. West Africa and South Africa. I didn't know anything about Greenwood until I got to the University of Oklahoma. I'm sitting in fall of 1997. I'm sitting in, sitting in intro to African-American studies class. My professor was Dr. Kepper Nurakim, rest his soul. Uh, became a great mentor of mine. He's a big guy, about six foot five, three thirty. Had his his uh, had a mohawk with long dreads. Now that's probably not that big of a deal now, but this is 1997. Like you you didn't see people walking around that way. Big, huge, booming voice. So he's a very intimidating guy. What I'm trying to tell you, I'm in class. I'm I'm interested because I'm I'm in my right mind state, uh, and he he starts talking about Tulsa. In this place with all these black entrepreneurs and doctors and lawyers and all the richest place ever for black people and how it was bombed. And I'm sitting there like, man, this dude don't do not know what he's talking about. Yeah. I am from Tulsa. I went to middle school on Greenwood Avenue. I ain't never heard that's any crazy. of this stuff. I raised my hand and I was like, man, I'm from Tulsa. That's not true. And man, you know, he gave me the verbal beat down, gave me all the smoke. And I was just so embarrassed, right, that I didn't know my own my own history. And from that day, it was that day in fall of 97. And I I decided I was going to educate myself as much as I possibly could about Greenwood and the massacre. And then two, I was going to advocate to get justice and reparations for my community. I found out from that day how many people I grew up with, not knowing that they were survivors, not knowing that they had been living at that time for 75, 80 years with the secret inside of them and how that impacted our entire community. I mean, I, because if you didn't know, they didn't know either, even though they may have been directly uh, associated, affiliated, they didn't know either. And and we think we know everything when we're the age, because I can see you saying, no, no, just now, excuse me. <laughs> I, 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 I am Mr. North Tulsa, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, so, so, so you learn this, and you decide, okay, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to get in the fight. And then you start going out to talk to other families and other people. Tell us more about that. And they, so, and they don't know. How do yeah. they not know? Where, well, where's well, the miscommunication? Well, two things. When I first got involved and I started learning about actual older people that I grew up knowing my whole life, that I didn't know that they were massacre survivors because nobody talked about it. Because it was a conspiracy of silence for 80 years. I mean, people were afraid to even discuss it because of the ramifications. I remember a lot of times, you know, we talk in abstracts. Mm -hmm. We talk about I, my ancestors and all that type of foolishness. I hate that talk. These are people that had to live with the same people that had burnt down their community. Right. They saw they saw them shoot and kill their neighbors. They saw them lynch and stab their, their, their father or mother. They saw them burn down 40 city blocks, 40 city blocks, 1,515 1550 homes and businesses burned to the ground. And then they had to live with those people. So there's this conspiracy of silence for 80 years that people just didn't talk about it. As far as young people, I mean, it's just, you know, when we don't talk with our elders and it's not in the history books, it kind of gets lost to history. Mm. So I started to educate myself. I started to do a lot of speeches, even in undergrad. <laughs> go to a lot of conferences, black studies conferences, talk about it. I would write a lot of my papers throughout my entire undergrad about Greenwood, different aspects of it. 
when I got in graduate school, because I have a, a master's in higher education, that was the same thing. I would just do a lot of presentations on it. So then when I got mm -hmm. to law school, same deal. But then I became on the National Black Law Student Associations Board. And um, that's where me and Angela Rye became really good friends. We were on the board together. And I was a national reparations director. And then during that time period is when the RCC, the Reparations Coordinating Committee, which was co-chaired by my mentor, who just passed, Professor Charles Ogletree, mm. they came in and they filed the lawsuit in 2003. And so I got the clerk for Dr. Ogletree and that team. That team had Johnny Cochran, Professor Ogletree, Michelle Roberts. That's a, you know, you should try to get her on your show. She's yeah. just retired oh, yeah. as the National Basketball Association's executive director. Mm -hmm. She's an amazing trial lawyer. Mm -hmm. um, Willie Gary, a bunch of other big lawyers. So as a yeah, law right. student, I'm clerking. I'm learning to feed these giants. Dr. John Ho Franklin, I don't know if you guys are familiar mm -hmm. with him. Mm -hmm. well, he, his, his father, B.C. Franklin, was a massacre survivor and had filed the first lawsuits just days after the massacre. It's a very famous picture of B.C. Franklin and his law partner, I.W. Spears, practicing in a tent just a mm -hmm. few days after the massacre. Think about, think about that. You're talking about I ain't your ancestor. You're talking about Black lawyers filing lawsuits against the very people that just burnt everything down. I mean, the fortitude to do that. So I got to work with them from 2003. Then I graduated law school in 04. I joined as a baby lawyer. Our case got dismissed. That, that case got dismissed at the district court level in 04. We appealed that to the 10th Circuit. They overruled us. Then we appealed it to the, Oklahoma, the U.S. Supreme Court. And in 2005, the U.S. Supreme Court, they declined to hear the case. Mm -hmm. Then we started working on a legislative fix. So we, we organized for about two and a half years. I, I did it, my wife and I, Mia, we organized a national town hall in 2005, which featured Professor Ogletree and the Congresswoman Maxine Waters. We had about a thousand people show up. And from that momentum, we were able to work with Representative John Conyers, rest in peace, uh, who crafted some legislation to try to remove the statute of limitations. Because that's what we got kicked out of. Right. right. Said, hey, it's been too long. We got a, We got that bill introduced in 2007. We had actually had a congressional hearing in 2007 that I attended with a couple of our survivors at that time. What was interesting about that hearing, you know, how life is, there was a very, very, not very well-known Indiana Republican that was on that Judiciary Committee by the name of Mike Pence. <laughs> Look at who's, look at look at the world. Look at the world. Who said, you know, this is a bad deal, but it's just too long ago. It's not what we can do about it, you know. Mm. So we went through that. We never got a hearing. We fought for that for several years. We never got a hearing. Then we filed a lawsuit in the International Court of the Americas, which is located in Washington, D.C. We went to that deal. We won that, but it was no victory because what can they tell America to do, right? So this is like around 2011, 2012. I mean, a lot of the survivors are dying. People are getting, you know, older lawyers are passing on. They're doing other things. It was kind of looking kind of hopeless at this point. And then at this point, I was representing a lot of professional athletes, doing other things in the law, but I kept writing about the massacre. I kept writing mm -hmm. and speaking about it. Then around 2017, 18, I started really feeling like the urgency of the centennial coming and feeling like, okay, man, what, what, what can we do? You know, I know the world is going to be watching. 
and couldn't really figure out a, a pathway forward because of the statute of limitations issue. And then in 2019, the Tulsa Chamber of Commerce was one of the perpetrators of the massacre. They came out and did this press conference where they said, hey, we want to come clean and we want to donate the minutes from our meetings right after the massacre, which shows how we were you know, trying to take advantage and what we wanted to do. And that just really- Wow. Oh, yeah, you want to react to that? No, I'm yeah. just saying that's big. Yeah, that's big. So they came out, but it, but it was but it was a big it was a big PR deal because at this point, people were starting to talk about. <laughs> remember, in '97, nobody's talking about the mask, right? It's still called the Tulsa race riot. Nobody really knows about. It. By this time in 2019, May, the Watchman is out. Yeah, you know, more so people know. Yeah, I mean, and it's getting bigger. You know, the Centennial is coming up, and like. It's, it's a lot of attention coming to Tulsa. So now it's like, well, how do we sanitize this? How do we, how do we, how do we whitewash? Mm. So we're going to come out and we're going to say, we're, you know, we should have done better and we're going to make up for, this has really pissed me off. We're going to make <laughs> up for what we did because we're going to have more diversity on our board, more minority wow. diversity and more women. <laughs> they Which, always start that. Mm -hmm. So that pissed me off. And I was like, man, now I got to figure out something. So two weeks later, on Juneteenth, 2019, they had a House hearing on HR 40. They had about 15, 17 <laughs> people. <laughs> One person said anything, said something about Tulsa, and that was my friend, Professor Eric Miller, who was on the original RCC team. But I hadn't talked to Eric in about eight or nine years. <laughs> and I saw him, I texted him, I, I DM'd him on Twitter, said, man, I saw you. Um, I've been thinking about doing something. You, you know, I just think it's right on time that I saw you. Would you be interested? He said, yeah. So I put together, we had this little small ragtag team of me, him, and a couple of other professors, you know, no, no resources, no big law firm behind us. Mm -hmm. And we were like, we're just going to file something. We don't know. It, it probably won't work. We, I, we may even get sanctioned because in, in the law, it's different than like, we could just say whatever on social media. But you got to file something viable. You can't yes. play with the fourth time. That's right. You can get hit with what's called a Rule 11 sanctions. And they, they sanction you monetarily, discipline you, whatever. And I just made a determination that I don't care. I don't care. Whatever it takes. It just, if it's nothing but a protest, I'm filing something. So we started working on that. That was in 2019. This is like July 2019. Working on it. Around October... It's like, man, what we thought we were going to do is like, man, this is not going to work. And I was talking to my homeboy, guy I went to high school with, and we do a lot of cases together. And we started talking about like different theories. And we would just, every day we would talk, we would talk. And then I, we saw this news story in Oklahoma about how the state of Oklahoma had got this huge verdict against the opioid companies. Hmm. They got like a $465 million verdict against these opioid companies utilizing what's called a public nuisance theory. And so I was like, I said, well, they went back like 30, 40 years to get that verdict. And my boy was like, well, man, why are we looking now? I was like, yeah, let's look in. So we started, we started researching it. And we found that the public nuisance statute in Oklahoma, which has been around since 1910, does not have a statute of limitation. Woo, I'm getting excited just talking about it. <laughs> Let me tell you what, when we, when we, when we, when we read that, I mean, it was it was it was just like such a, a beautiful development. Revelation. It was, a, it, was, it was it was a viable way forward. 
Let me just tell you how God worked. It was a, it was, it was not a protest. It was not just something to say. It was a viable way forward. And we looked at it, and we were looking at the elements. The elements, I'm just to paraphrase, as long as there's an ongoing nuisance, it must be abated. Abated means to be fixed. So think about this. Think about it this way. Y'all remember about 12, 13 years ago when the BP oil explosion happened in the Gulf of Mexico? Yes. Mm-hmm. Y'all remember that video of that oil just spraying out into the Gulf for like 40, 50 days, just millions of gallons of oil, right? So that that's the nuisance. So that's like the massacre. That's like the dropping of the bombs. That's like the burning, the shooting, the killing of the people. But then they plugged that hole. But what about the oil? The oil was still polluting the air, polluting the water. Mm-hmm. It was killing the wildlife. It was hurting people's, you know, their shrimping business or whatever. And people until, already died. People had already, until that oil is all the way abated, if it takes one year or a hundred years, mm-hmm. that nuisance is ongoing and you have no statute of limitations. Wow. So you all man. filed that. That's what you use. And you all filed something under that particular, what would it be called? Law, I guess. Public nuisance law. Public nuisance law. And then that was the first time that they didn't throw, they couldn't throw it out. They couldn't throw it out. So so we realized that at the end of 2019, so now it's like, okay, now we need a client. The church, Burning Man, and me, of all the 1,550 structures that was in Greenwood, we have one structure that's still surviving the massacre, and it's a basement where they hid during the bombing. So we signed them up, and then our only living survivor in Tulsa at the time that we knew about, she was 105 at the time, Mother Randall, got her signed up. And then, um, tr- then the crazy thing happened. The craziest thing happened. Well, first of all, COVID happened, right? COVID shuts everything down. So what? What's the what's the what's the next biggest event that happens right after COVID? The biggest event in the world. George Floyd. George Floyd happens. So the whole world is looking and thinking about Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. So people are already in this pissed off scenario, like, "No, nah, we tired of this." Mm-hmm. And then what happens two weeks later after George Floyd? Donald J. Trump decides he's going to do his first rally where in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. On Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. People are pissed. People are like, hell no, we ain't taking this. And so the entire world was looking at Tulsa from starting more attention. Mm-hmm. and started at the Trump deal. It was hundreds, hundreds of media outlets in Tulsa during the Trump visit. And so that was just giving us this momentum. And I almost filed right then and there. And uh, my mentor, uh, he's really my coach, Brian Stevenson, EJI. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I mean, that's my, man, I love Brian. That is my guy. And uh, I couldn't be here where I am right today if it was not for him. And I remember I was going to file because I was just so angry that Trump would do that. And he said, look, I ain't going to tell you what to do, but, you know, if you file, it's going to all be about Trump, you know, and we're not ready yet, you know. So... But that gave us a lot of fuel, a lot of momentum, and that meant everybody had their eyes on Tulsa. And then when we filed in September 1st of 2020, it just blew the minds of everybody because for the last two or three years, up until that point, everybody, all the perpetrators was talking about how bad it was and how they were sorry and this shouldn't have happened and the massacre is the reason for all the disparities. But once we filed, 
Now, all that stuff that you were saying because you didn't think it was no repercussions, now you got to deal with it. So I'll, 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 I'll pause there because I could say so much more from September 1, 2020 to where we are now, but I'll, I'll pause there because I can talk. I can talk forever. No, it, I mean, just listening to it and, and understanding the journey in it for me is just like, wow, watching, you know, seeing and, and, then, and, and knowing that, you know, God provides the, the, the time. It ain't your time. It's, it's God's time. And so after you, when you, when did you actually, you actually file? When we filed did you actually, September 1, 2020. For September 1, 2020. And, and what is the status of it? So right now, so our case just got, we got dismissed out on July 7th. But I got, I guess before I talk about that dismissal, when we filed on September 1, 2020, they filed a motion to dismiss. They being the perpetrator, that's the city, the county, the chamber, the state of Oklahoma and some other entities. We litigated that for a year, which is unusual for that to take that long in state court. Then we had a hearing on May 2nd, 2022. Hundreds of people were there, lots of dignitaries, people like uh, my friend, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, mm -hmm. Barbara Armwine. And at that hearing, our judge, for the first time in the history of any of these type of massacres, said we could move forward. She denied the motion to dismiss by the defendants. But then she waited three months to do her written order. And in her written order, she kind of went back on what she said in May. She did that in August. But then we had to go back through the process all over again. And we've been waiting since August of last year. And then this July 7th, she dismissed us without prejudice. I mean, with prejudice, meaning we could not refile the case in her court. So we had 30 days to file our appeal with the Oklahoma Supreme Court. We got our appeal filed on August 4th. We announced the filing with a press conference on August 7th. We have three major things that need to happen for us to, to win this appeal. The first major thing we had to have happen is that the Oklahoma Supreme Court accepts the case. 99% of the cases that are filed at the Oklahoma Supreme Court, they don't accept it. They kick it down to what's called a court of civil appeals. They have accepted the case. That is huge development. Phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. Phenomenal. It's a phenomenal development. It happened very, very quickly. We are emboldened. We feel very good about it. The next step is to have an oral hearing. And obviously the last step is for them to decide that they will give us the opportunity. And i be very clear. All we're asking for at this point is the opportunity to have our day in court. Mm -hmm. So we've been fighting for almost three years just, just for, for opportunity. Day in court. Just for opportunity. Wow. Well, that's wow. well, that's amazing, man. It is. You know, I think I think everything is aligned, you know, as it should be. You know, I think um, you know, we we know we never know what these courts are gonna do. So, you know, but I think I think you've done the work, you know, I think that you've done the research, and I think that you and I, I, I have enough faith in you that I know that you what, what you present to get that day in court is going to be something that's so powerful that it's going to, regardless of what they do, it's going to, it's going to start ripples. Uh -huh. It's going to start ripples because when, when you actually see, because even when you said what Mike Pence said, you know, like, yeah, this is messed up, but, you know, it's, it's past, now we, we passed that. You know, you can't say that the, the, the statute of limitation is, is gone. Now you actually got to hear what we have to present. Here. Right. And I think there's nobody can really deny what the Tulsa, you know, massacre did and, and how how it um it, it completely shifted the coach our culture you know just right. shifted 
just our our lineage and you know right. throughout for throughout history. So I think reparations is definitely you know required for that. So I'm I'm, I'm rooting for you, man. I'm, yeah, I think your energy, like we hear it, you know, we can see the passion and the drive. And, you know, just as I was doing my research before you um, joined us today, I see how long you've been in this, you know, and it's a long battle and you educated yourself, educated others, brought a team along, didn't think that you could do it by yourself, which is one of the challenges that sometimes our people face. Uh, is trying to go at it alone so that they, at, in the end, you could be the one to claim the victory, but that's not this. It's, it's impossible. It's going to take so many hearts and minds and so many different leaders to come together. And I think that a win for Tulsa is a win on this journey towards reparations for our people in general. So when you said that Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee um, and Barbara Arnwine were there to support you, it makes sense because they also understand collaboration is key and that it is a lineage, it is a process, it is a journey. And once we are able to see justice for Tulsa, then we can start to use it as a contagious, a contagious um, sort of drive for other places to do the same. So I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what you're doing, but I'm also inspired, very inspired to hear your story, to see how, um, just how passionate, I guess, you know, you are about making sure that this happens. So I just want to thank you so much for joining us today, giving us like a colorful understanding of what is happening. So how can people help you? And, you know, what can they do? Can they donate to Justice for Greenwood? And what are ways that they can stay involved and learn more about what you have, you know, what you're doing? Yeah, thank you so much for that. I'm inspired too. I'm inspired to be here with you all and be in community. And so, and you're right, we have to work together as a team. And it, it, is, it is not just me, no question at all. Um, but how people can help, they can help in three ways. Number one, go to justiceforgreenwood.org. We are a 501c3 organization and make a donation. This work is taxing. It is taxing. And you two know this as much mm -hmm, as anybody. Very much. It's taxing physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, but also financially, you know, and we've been very blessed at Justice for Greenwood to have support so we can do the work that we do. In addition to our litigation that we've talked all about, we also have a, what we call a We Are Greenwood project where our people were dispersed throughout the nation because, of, indeed throughout the world, because of the massacre. And part of our, our charge is to recreate Greenwood. Greenwood was just as much a place as it was a mentality. Greenwood was a, a mentality of land ownership, uh, cooperative economics, and business and economic innovation in a freedom mind state. So we do oral histories. We do genealogy. We have over almost a thousand people in our descendant network. And all this stuff talk, costs money. So if, if people make a donation, if you can make a donation of $5, make that. If you can make $5, make that. I'll tell you. I look at the donation reports at the end of the month and I see so many people giving $12 or $8. That's right. it, it, it really is, it, you know, obviously we all want to get the big check, but it inspires me when I know somebody, somebody giving you $11 or something. They That's all they have. This is what they have, you know, because this, yeah. this is how I grew up. This is my people. I, I grew up in those churches, those small churches where you passed around the you know, the collection plate, and you, you know, you put your $2.75 because that's what you have. 
And so make a donation. If you can make a $5, make it five. You can make it 5,000, make it 5,000. That's the first way. Number two, sign up for our newsletter. You know, we have about 10,000 people on our newsletter and we always have an activations. We always have trying to move people to action, but it's a way to stay in touch with us. We send out an uh, email, but mostly once a week, but definitely through two or three times a month. And then thirdly, sign up, uh, go to Justice for Greenwood on our IG, like, share our posts uh, so this work can still get out. Because you'd be surprised how many people still don't really know about the massacre. And yeah. not just and the thing, reason I call it Justice for Greenwood, because, yeah, we're trying to get justice for the massacre, but we also want to educate people about Greenwood. Right. What Greenwood was, how Greenwood was created, right. how Greenwood was sustained itself so we can get back to that mentality. Absolutely. So, Every, a lot of people, I know we're wrapping up, but a lot of people want to use Greenwood because they want to talk about Black Wall Street and they want to wrap it around this capitalistic, you know, business, business, business. But Black Wall Street was just a part of the community of Greenwood. And Black Wall Street was not about a capitalist society. It was a cooperative mm -hmm. economic society. That's right. That, that's working what built together. Black, yeah, working, working together. together. That's what built Black Wall Street. And then you got to go back and think about the land ownership. And that's a, we have another conversation. I'm a Black Creek Indian. My family been in Oklahoma since the 1830s, walked on the Trail of Tears. My ancestor was a chief, blah, blah, blah. But you wouldn't have Greenwood if you wouldn't have all the Black Indians who were already in Oklahoma for almost 80 years who had land and had a freedom mind state. So all those things, people can help us get that education out by donating, by uh, signing up to our newsletter, and following us on, uh, on Instagram. And of course, you can follow me at Attorney DeMario. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Listen, man, keep the keep up the good work, man. It's, it's motivation, you know, for us because we 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 out here on these front lines doing the same work. So seeing people, like we said, it's it's not no, it's no one person that can do this no, work. There's no. no one leader. It's gonna take so many of us. You know, our people have been fractured in so many different pieces that it's gonna take so many different pieces to put us back together. Absolutely. So we definitely appreciate the work keep, you do, man. Keep up the fight. Keep it keep up, Keep up man. the fight. Attorney Demario Solomon Simmons of Justice for Greenwood fighting for the survivors of the Tulsa race war massacre. Um, and also, I would say a new part of your title is the fight for reparations for them is the fight for reparations for all of our people. So we appreciate you, brother. Keep going. And anything that we can do to be supportive, to give you a platform, to anything, whatever you need us to do, so, carry so. the water, do a protest, say things you can't say, whatever you need us to do, mm -hmm. we're there. Please be in touch. Thank That's you so good. much. Thank you. I have to bring you guys to Tulsa soon. Appreciate Absolutely. you, Thank Take you. Care. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Walbrook, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, 
State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. AT&T connects and ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or MBC, which is breast cancer that has spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrantz, palbociclib. Ibrantz 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrantz and visit Ibrantz.com. Ibrantz may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrantz may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrantz, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. Shout out to Attorney Simmons, man. Um, the work he's doing is phenomenal. And it's, he's so passionate. Yeah, he's passionate, man. And, and he's been doing it for 25 years. Like, literally. He's finally getting something. And, and mm-hmm. that just goes to show, man, that, we, you know, I, I was taught that persistence breaks down resistance, man. It's like the water that, that rolls on a rock. And it just slowly breaks it down, you know. And, and people don't realize that they want immediate you know, gratification. Mm-hmm. They want things that immediately just happen, man. But he shows how when you steadfast and you consistently do something, you know, you eventually get results. So shout out to him for that work, man. My I don't get it is it's kind of simple, right? We've been celebrating the 50th anniversary of hip hop, the mm-hmm. 50th year of hip hop. And the only thing I don't get is there are certain People that I'm not going to name names, but there are certain individuals that I just haven't seen. You know, there's a whole legacy of hip hop. Well, the Florida people say they've been totally cut out. And you know, and I and, and I just think I think that um, you can't you can't celebrate everybody, but there are certainly some people who I think 
are, are pretty much pioneered hip hop mm -hmm. that haven't been involved in the 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 big ceremonies as I think they should have. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, so that's probably the only thing I would say I don't get. I think you know we have to do a lot better at um understanding the history of hip hop and not just celebrating quote unquote what's popular, what's popular you know, and, and really give those artists and those people who really paved the way for a lot of things that, you know, happened in hip hop, they're just due and they're just platforms, you know, so that's pretty much my only thing I don't get this week, but everything else is just dope, man. Um, Thanks to Attorney Simmons for joining us. Thanks to our fans for always supporting us, making us the, the number one show, Street Politicians number one show. Hit us up at Street Politicians Pod. If you have any ideas, if you want to tell us anything, tell us you love us, hate us, ideas for shows, who you want us to interview, any topics, just let us know, man. We appreciate y'all for always supporting us. We're going to continue to be who we are. We're going to continue to come straight from the heart and give you raw, raw, raw content. I'm not going to always be right. <laughs> Tamika D. Mary's not going to always be wrong. We will both always, and I mean always, be authentic. Salute! Listen to Street Politicians on the Black Effect Network on iHeartRadio. And catch us every single Wednesday for the video version of Street Politicians on iWomen.tv. That's how we own it! State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. AT&T connects and ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk? Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. 
Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.